Listener Production. Hey, Rihanna Patrick here with The Briefing. In today's episode, the barefoot investor Scott Pape turns his attention to kids with a new book called Barefoot Kids, Your Epic Money Adventure. I wrote the book as really a consolation prize for the fact that I spent two years trying to get financial education in schools and I failed. Uh, My view is that learning about money is the one thing that every kid's going to be tested on every day of their lives. And the fact is, we just don't teach it. So you'll be learning all about how to prepare the younger people in your family so they can become confident, money-savvy adults in the second half of this episode. But first, today's headlines with Eleanor Harrison-Dengate. It's Thursday, the 22nd of December. The ACT government has announced a board inquiry into the now-dropped Bruce Lamont trial, where he was accused of raping Brittany Higgins in Parliament House. It follows claims made by the ACT's chief prosecutor, Shane Drumgold, that he was pressured to not pursue the charge against Lemon. This was a high-profile trial, an independent review into the roles played by the criminal justice agencies involved is the most appropriate response. That's the ACT Chief Minister, Andrew Barr. The trial was abandoned in October after a juror's misconduct. Then a retrial was cancelled over concern for Brittany Higgins' mental health. Lehman has maintained his innocence and there are no findings against him. So the inquiry is equivalent to a royal commission and will look into the conduct of police and prosecutors, the appropriateness of the ACT Victims of Crime Commissioner supporting Higgins during the trial and penalties for juror misconduct. Yes, the inquiry has been welcomed by Lamman, who issued a statement hoping the inquiry would examine all aspects of the matter. The Australian is reporting Lamman's team wants the inquiry to examine whether pressure was applied not to prosecute Higgins for contempt over remarks that she made outside the court. While Higgins posted sunlight is the best disinfectant on her Instagram yesterday afternoon, the ACT government is currently looking for someone to conduct the inquiry. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky has made his first trip abroad since the start of the Russian invasion 11 months ago. He'll land in Washington to meet the US President Joe Biden and deliver an evening address to Congress. It's believed the visit will coincide with an announcement of a new $3 billion weapons package for Ukraine. Meanwhile, Russia has warned supplying more weapons would only escalate the war. It's after Russian President Vladimir Putin told his defence chiefs there's no limit on military spending. While his defence minister Sergei Shoigu said the total size of the army now needs to be increased from 1 million to 1.5 million personnel. So, Eleanor, this is Zelensky's first known trip abroad. It is, and it's believed what he's going to get out of it is what's called a Patriot missile defence system. So that's basically going to allow Ukrainian forces to intercept long-range Russian missiles. They'd also really like to get some long-range missiles and drones themselves, but that's not going to happen. Foreign Minister Penny Wong is coming home after her meeting with her Chinese counterpart in Beijing. So far, $20 billion worth of trade sanctions are still in place despite the talks, with Wong noting ice thaws, but slowly. Particularly in the context of trade, there was a discussion about uh, opportunities for further dialogue to work through how we might do what I think is in the best interest of both countries and consumers in both countries, and that is for the trade blockages to be removed. The pair also discussed human rights issues and spoke about resuming consular visits for the two Australians currently detained in China. That's writer Yang Hung Jun and journalist Chung Lei. The two have not had consular visits since September. 
Wong also advocated for them to be reunited with their families as soon as possible. Chung Lei has two young children living in Melbourne. If you want to hear a bit more about her story, you can check out our episode from June 9th. While China's President Xi Jinping has said his country is ready to advance relations with Australia based on mutual respect and win-win principles, according to Chinese state media. Slain Queensland police officers Rachel McCrow and Matthew Arnold have been posthumously honoured. In the acknowledgement of the exceptional bravery displayed by Matthew and Rachel, I have posthumously awarded them the Queensland Police Valour Medal, which is the highest bravery award the Commission of the Queensland Police Service can award. Queensland Police Commissioner Katerina Carroll there. Thousands across Queensland observed yesterday's memorial service honouring the two officers' lives who were gunned down in that ambush at a rural property 10 days ago. They were buried in private funerals yesterday afternoon. So the neighbour, Alan Dare, who was also killed, will be farewelled in a private memorial tomorrow. Rihanna, did you catch the service? Yeah, Roland, I did catch it and um, it was quite moving, particularly watching Rachel McCrow's dog following her coffin. Yeah, Archie, the blue healer, definitely. I think a lot of hearts broke just that little bit more seeing that. Briefly, the second round of university offers are being released today based on school leavers' ATAR. Elon Musk has vowed he will step down as Twitter CEO once he finds a replacement following a Twitter poll he issued himself surveying users. 57.5% of voters said he should step down out of 17.5 million votes. Deliveroo's parent company will pay its creditors $19 million by the end of April following the food delivery business's Australian collapse. Sadly, vandals have destroyed a 40,000-year-old piece of rock art in South Australia's Nullarbor, which is sacred to the mourning people of the Great Australian Bight. And in the Torres Strait, a 31-year-old man has survived a 20-hour ordeal by clinging to a piece of debris after his dinghy capsized in rough seas. And Eleanor, very lucky to be alive because there are a lot of sharks in the Torres Strait. Yeah, that sounds absolutely terrifying. Also, aren't there, there are also crocodiles up there as well, all sorts of things. Yeah. And so, I mean, and boat safety is a constant thing in the Torres Strait. And, you know, he is really lucky. And I think uh, it, it was described as a Christmas miracle. Well, thanks, Eleanor. Next, Scott Pape, the barefoot investor, is turning his attention to the younger people in your family with his new book aimed at helping kids navigate their money journey. So, Rihanna Patrick, did you get pocket money growing up? No, my mum did not believe in it. And really? she was all like, if I'm going to cook you dinner, who's paying me? No one pays me to do chores around the house. And I thought, she's got a point. <laughs> so, who was it that taught you about money growing up? It was pretty much my mum and dad. Yeah. And the basic lesson was you're not having any? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it was that, that idea that if there was something that I wanted to ask for or do that I would repay in some way, shape or form later. So say I wanted to go to the movies, they would give me the money to go to the movies, but it would always come with, um, but I will expect you to do something in return for that. Right, chores? Yeah, or just anything. If they wanted me, if they asked me to do something and they'd given me money for (laughs) something earlier, I had to do it. It's interesting how young we start engaging in these little micro economies with our parents, isn't it? Yeah, and looking back, I think about, those lessons that I learnt through them, Mm. but then how much I didn't learn either of things that I've had to change as an adult. Yeah, it really makes you wonder about whether we learn enough in school about money. Um, But you're a big fan of the Barefoot Investor. I'm in that cult. Are you? I've joined. What do you love about Scott Pape's advice? 
It's the only book that really made sense to me financially. Everything else I'd ever read, the penny just didn't seem to drop. Pun intended. Uh Uh-huh. And then I read that and went, this all makes sense. And it's really changed the way that I look at my finances. And now he's done that for kids. Scott, I'm gathering part of the reason you wrote this book is because you feel like there's a gap in our education when it comes to learning about money as kids. I wrote the book as really a consolation prize for the fact that I spent two years trying to get financial education in schools and I failed. Uh, My view is that learning about money is the one thing that every kid's going to be tested on every day of their lives. And the fact is we just don't teach it. Often what happens with money is teachers say, oh, you know, it's about numbers, so therefore it's about maths. My view, though, is that it's not so much about maths, it's a language, right? And if you don't get taught that language at school and if you don't speak that language at home, we just suddenly expect everyone to be fluent in this when they turn 18 and that's just not the case. Yeah, well, it's not maths, it's behavioural studies really, isn't it? Totally. It's habits, it's values. And that's why, Tom, what I find, like I'm a volunteer financial counsellor, so I work with some really vulnerable people uh, and a lot of single parents. And what I often find is kids from single parent households are much better money managers because they have those conversations every day. We can't afford this. You know, we're going to have to repair those school shoes because, you know, we can't afford to do that. So they're having those micro conversations about money all the time. Whereas sometimes wealthier parents say, oh, I'm not going to bother my kids about that. And so the kids have no idea. They've never had even put up the old plates to learn about what that language is. Scott, you've talked and brought kids into that conversation in Barefoot for Families. And so I see this as an extension of that work already of really targeting more the kids and at their their own level. So I guess is that the reason why you've wanted to put out that book of having no success in changing the way that financial literacy is done in schools? Yeah, I mean, I guess what I found was that um, teachers get it, right? So at the coalface, if you're a teacher and, and you're living in a capital city, you're struggling. You know what financial struggle is like because it's, you know, I think arguably one of the most important uh, jobs in society. My sister's a single mum and she's also a teacher. You know, they get it and the kids get it because it's real world and it's sort of building their confidence and things. But unfortunately, the bureaucracy really didn't understand the idea of of life skills, which is kind of tough. Um, But for me, um, I wanted to write a book that spoke directly to kids. And that seemed really good at the start. And it totally sucked writing it because I have four kids under the age of nine, right? So I would, every night, I would would read them something that I'd laboured on. And I remember my son, I told a hilarious story on compound interest. And he stopped me mid-sentence. He's nine. And he said, Dad, you're using uh, humor as a device here, but it's it's just not working for you because it's really not that funny. You're wasting the reader's time. You just need to get to the point. But, you know, they were they're sort of very proud of what I did eventually, but they made it keep it real. Like kids don't want to be spoken down to. So we've got kids from the country, kids from the city, kids between the ages of 5 and 14, Indigenous kids, kids with disabilities. I just basically wanted every kid to open this book and go, that looks like me. Mm. I could do that. Yeah, well, there's some great stories of kids starting up their own businesses, putting into practice some of your lessons. 
There were some question marks that came up for me, I've got to be honest, though, because I guess there's a there's a tricky balance when you're talking about kids and money. You want them to learn important lessons and I guess to, to think about their own behaviors and understand incentives. But you also want to give them, I guess, some freedom to be kids and not to get too caught up in this capitalist totally. world that we live in. And I, I did get a bit worried when you talked about you know, getting pocket money for just really basic things like clearing the table. And then I saw that you balanced out the pay task with the, the parent-pleasing task, which you do more for love. How do you get that balance right of not commodifying everything? Personally, myself, I think talking to kids about money can be very consumerist and capitalist and kind of icky. Like, you know, for me, that is just not what I'm about. So I have these things called parent pleasers. So in my house with my four kids, um, you don't get paid to make your bed. You don't get paid to uh, take your smelly socks and put them to the laundry. You don't get paid to set the table or do the dishes, right? So you don't get paid for any of that. That's just part of being a family. The same way I don't get paid to put very average spaghetti bowl on the kitchen table for them to eat. Right. So we are just a family. I want my kids to save up for a goal. It's like the old marshmallow test, delay gratification, and to be givers, right? So one of the jars is giving. Now, that could just be buying some flowers for grandma. It could be doing something with the floods that we've had. It could be something, buying a present for mum and dad rather than, you know, me having to buy it for my, you know, on behalf of the kids. <laughs> but kids are naturally narcissistic, right? So what I want to do is I want them thinking about someone other than themselves. Scott, one of the things that you do, I think, really well in this book is it's all about the decisions that the kids make. So it's about the jobs that they want to do. It's about how they divvy up their money. And I guess, yep. I mean, what's the important lesson in that of allowing them to have that ability of making those decisions? You know, it came out of um, Barefoot Families was a really good book, but it had a had a fatal flaw. And that was, I wrote it directly to parents, right? You know, as a dad, uh, I'm essentially just a taxi these days. You know, I'm going to jujitsu, I'm going to ballet, I'm I'm a scout leader. You know, it's just another thing for me to do. Oh, financial literacy, oh, pocket money, you know. And then it resorts to you do it for a while and then you start to haggle, then you start to nag, and then you start to bribe, right? That's kind of the the, the slippery slope that you go down. This book is written directly to the kids to empower them. Now, the, the, the parents get the final say, uh, of course, but if you put it in the hands of the kids and they have go on an adventure, they will remind you when it's pocket money day. You know, they are in control. And for me, uh, and it comes to your point that you were talking about, Tom, I want kids to build their financial confidence. One massive challenge that I think we're going to have in educating young people about money going forward is not having notes and coins anymore. You know, yeah. it was very easy to sort of see money in a tangible way. Now that it's just numbers on a screen, that's quite hard to get your head around, particularly in those younger years. So how much of a challenge do you think that's going to present in helping kids get their heads around money? I don't use physical coins and notes in my life. But at home, because my kids are uh, primary school and preschool, we use the filthy lucre. So we have the money there. We have the glass jars because that idea is I want to make that really direct connection with my kids who are visual creatures, all kids are, of I work and as soon as I work, 
that money drops into a jar and I hear it. It's very tactile and tangible. Um, but I totally agree with you. We are, we're not going back to checks. We're not even going to have notes and coins. But the one thing that I know will not change, never going to change, is I get out of bed and I work and I do a good job and I'm a hard worker. I'm a giving person. And I think that's even more important, Tom, uh, now that you just see this disparity of the rich and the, the the poor and the working poor. We've got rental vacancy rates below 1%. And, and what it is, is those people that own assets, that own shares and that, that own property are getting richer. And those people who are stuck without those assets are getting poorer. So maybe a long-winded question, maybe I'm going off on a tangent here, but as my kids get older, the things that they are going to need is I'm a hard worker, I'm a giving person. I can delay gratification and I invest. And that is not go- is never going to change. Yeah. So Scott, on that, I mean, you did say you were going off on a tangent, but we might as well go there with interest rates rising, the cost of living still rising. I mean, what is your advice for those who might be starting to feel the pinch at the moment? Heading into adult land here. By yeah, the adult land. Yeah. <laughs> adult land. You know, I think that um, for all the media beat up of every time the Reserve Bank uh, raises interest rates. What they focus on, probably because all the big mastheads are owned by real estate portals, or that's where the, the majority of their income comes from, we focus on um, households and borrowers, and often with you know clickbait headlines. My view is the people that are getting really screwed by inflation are people on very very low incomes and fixed incomes. They are the people that are underrepresented in you know all these stories that are happening. Um, and certainly as a financial counselor, that's what I'm seeing. I mean, just the rental market right now is absolutely bananas. Um, and if you're a single parent and, and you're you're renting um, and your landlord puts their rent up 20%, what are you going to do? You've got kids at school, you're working hard, you don't have time to do that. So it, it's kind of at this point creating two classes of people. And I don't think that is a good thing for our nation. What I would say to people is that if you are really struggling you should call 1-800-007-007. That's in the National Debt Helpline. Um, it's got financial counsellors. I say that uh, financial counsellors are the, the greatest uh, secret in the finance world in that we're free, we're independent, we work with the client to help you get back on your feet. We talk to your insurer um, in the case of natural disasters like floods or your bank in case of debts. And really, the financial counsellors do a really good job. But I just see what's happening right now, and it's been happening for years. What we're seeing with interest rates now, I think is scary for a lot of people because, you know, if you're under the age of, say, 40, you've never seen a recession in your uh, adult life. You've never really had a time where you haven't seen interest rates really coming down. So I think what we're seeing at the moment is unprecedented, and uh, it's going to be tough for a lot of people. That was Scott Pape talking about his book, Barefoot Kids. So do you think he's going to have a cult of children following him now, joining your cult? Probably, Tom. And one thing I thought was these kids are killing it with their side hustles. Mm. I need to do better. <laughs> but I also wondered if you're a parent or guardian has, who has given this to a little person and you're not necessarily a cross-barefoot investor... Is it going to be a case that the children are then going to teach the older people in the family about finances? 
Well, yeah, sometimes these lessons go both ways. Um, so does the, the giving and taking, I guess. I like a bit about parent pleasers where you do the jobs just to keep your parents happy, but also the idea there's the three buckets of money, the splurge, the save, and the giving to other people. So I think what that goes to show is that, yes, money is money, but really it's about prioritizing behaviors and values. And I do think what Scott Pape is teaching, even though I was a bit reserved about bringing sort of this commoditization and capitalism in too early, it is about encouraging healthy behaviours. Yeah, and as we know, giving back is really, really important and a really great lesson to learn when you're young. Tomorrow, Santa Camp, the place where Santas in the US can go to learn to be a better Santa and Mrs. Claus. That's it for The Briefing. Catch you tomorrow. Listener.